Hello and welcome to the 108 podcast. We are the Type 1 Together Girls. Episode 2, we are stripping down life with type 1 diabetes from two people who live different versions of it every single day. And please remember the Type 1 Together does not give any medical advice. We're only sharing from personal experience. Yes, that is a very important disclaimer that we forgot to mention during our first episode, but first episode was mostly anecdotal anyway. Sorry. Um, Of course, you know, I've got two toddlers, so oh my gosh, my voice. (laughs) (laughs) So we were healthy for all of two weeks and uh, yeah, now there's a little tickle in my throat. So sorry, everyone, but this is real life. (laughs) Welcome to real life. Amanda, let's catch up a little. Speaking of all of that, how was your weekend? What went down? Oh my gosh. Okay. So for anyone who doesn't follow us on social media, I updated a little bit. We went out of town this weekend. We left on Friday, like mid-morning, um, and we were supposed to be going to Iowa. We live in San Diego. And so we were going to Des Moines, Iowa for my cousin's wedding. And um, it was just going to be, you know, 48 plus hours quick trip. And we, I, there's no straight shot from San Diego to Des Moines. So we had to stop over in Denver. And we figured that was fine because, hello, we're traveling with two toddlers, like an almost two-year-old and almost four-year-old. And one of them has type 1 diabetes. So might as well take the layover, get some food, let them run around. Um, but as soon as we landed, we saw that our flight was delayed two extra hours. So our two hour layer layover was going to turn into a four hour layover. And then the weather kind of got bad. There were some thunderstorms and lightning happening. Um, and so we did not actually get into Des Moines until 3am and we were supposed to get there at 9pm. And like this is on Friday night into Saturday early morning hours. The wedding Mm -hmm. is on Saturday. And then we turn around Sunday and leave. Like it was just not – Yes, yes. The (laughs) wedding was so fun and I loved seeing my family and I love my cousin dearly and the woman he married who, you know, obviously now I consider family, always have. She's amazing. but. Um, I should have gone by myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did any like diabetes things come up during that long process? Yes. Her <laughs> pump failed. So her, she's on the Omnipod 5. And when you travel through time zones, it prompts you to change it. And last yeah. summer when we traveled with the Omnipod 5 for the first time, anytime it prompted me, I would just say like, yes, change it and follow Mm -hmm. all the prompts. And it took less than 10 seconds to just get it to the new time zone. But this time my husband was the one who like saw it, but I think the kids were crawling all over him and we were midair and it was just chaotic. So he just said like, do it later instead of do it Mm -hmm. now. So then during our layover, I was like, okay, I'm going to change the pump to update to the time zone we're in and like her pump just started screeching it was like air 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 yeah (laughs) so we did a mid terminal pump change and it was a fresh pump like less than 24 hours old so that was annoying wow and then blood sugars were just a mess 
of course, always during travel. <laughs> um, I've done a few airport bathroom site changes. Have I feel you? like they're always just something goes wrong, right? Like yes. almost every time and you got to do it and you just do what you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did. My husband was teasing me because I went to go fill a new pod. And as I walked away from him, I didn't do it in the bathroom because we were in a very empty terminal. Yes. Um, but as I walked away from him, I like turned around a few steps in and grabbed my phone. He's like, oh, got to get that content. <laughs> it's like, shut up. Stay tuned. There might be a video. Exactly. <laughs> How was yes. your weekend, Raquel? It was pretty uneventful, um, but I am prepping for a trip that I'm taking to the Dominican Republic later this week with my boyfriend and his family. And I've been more concerned than normal about diabetes mishaps. I mean, I've traveled a lot, but um, I really want to make sure that I have backup supplies. And honestly, like I'm not someone who gives myself injections. Like I haven't probably given myself one in three years, maybe. Like I only do it if it's absolutely necessary because I never really gave them to myself when I was younger. I was so little. My mom was always doing it. So I just never have done that for myself. And I realize I don't have extra syringes. Mm -hmm. And we're going on an excursion when we're there where we like go to this like other island or something where there's no service and I'm just like, oh, what if things go wrong and I need to keep my insulin cool and like what if my pump malfunctions or gets wet? I don't know. So I'm trying to figure out everything that I need to bring. But overall, just prepping for that. And I met my friend who ended up giving me some extra syringes, which always feels like the weirdest like drug deal that you're doing in the parking lot. <laughs> Um, but it does feel like a drug deal. It's so weird. Yes. I'm like, I promise it's just for insulin. And she was telling me, or no, someone on my DMs was telling me that you can actually order syringes on Amazon, which I had no idea. Apparently, only that in either. states, you can also walk into Walmart and just ask for them. But I'm learning a lot of new things. And she also wears a T Slim and was telling me that the last time she went through airport security and they like swab your pump or your hands like they'll make you rub do they do that with omnipod or no yeah. they make you like touch it and then they swab yeah when hands. we came back from the friends for life conference and uh -huh. i was wearing the omnipod that had yes. saline in it they uh -huh. had me touch the omnipod and then they yes. swab my hands or whatever yes. yeah so last time she went through she said it tested positive for oh the bomb gosh. residue and i was like what this has never happened to me and i posted a story on my personal diabetes Instagram type one day and people are messaging me saying it happens to them also. And apparently it's actually because of lotions and sprays, like anything you're using can somehow create a false alarm. So now I'm like so skeptical because then they have to search through all your stuff and yeah. I would just be so nervous even though I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> yep. So That's learning so, lots of new uh, things. It's so frustrating. It is yeah. kind of interesting though, like travel this weekend specifically this past weekend made me realize that um a lot more people do know about type 1 diabetes than i realized we got mm. stopped i want to say five or six times wow to ask yeah. about her sites or for people to show her theirs and then mm. anytime at least for us all the times we went through tsa um and i just said my daughter's a type 1 diabetic they would go oh, okay so does she have the devices on yep like they knew exactly what they was definitely happening. know yeah people are always yeah, yeah. Going so it's it. a little bit helpful but it is like okay so if you know about it why do we have to be all up in arms about it <laughs> 
very we true. Make the yeah. a little well, more streamlined. That's interesting. I think over the last couple of years, there's been an uptick in diagnosis. Yes. Or I don't know how you say that. Diagnosis. Diagnoses. Yes, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, for all ages. And I think obviously that's a horrible thing, but it is nice that more people are aware of it. And it's also being shown in the media so much more. And so I wonder if like things will start to be less of a big deal because people know, you know, it's yeah, kind of a newer thing that everyone's wearing the devices publicly and whatnot. So, yeah. Yeah. For sure. All right. Oh, I missed well, you. I know. I miss you too. We were so excited to record a second episode <laughs> and we're going to try to record one for next week as well. Amanda and I are actually both going to be out of town and it's my first time taking off work, like completely off work in like three or four years because I've had so many side jobs that I always have something to post for someone or something to do. Um, And it's just part of being a business owner, right? Now you're getting a taste of that, Amanda. There's always something to do, but um, I really want to try to relax because I love working so much. Like I'm almost sad to not be doing it for a week, but I think it's going to be healthy for me and give me more like umph going forward like I need that rest to fill my cup and so do you so Amanda and I will be probably on and off stories next week just because that's fun and like we want to be there and you know that it doesn't feel like work we love connecting with all of you but we will have some help with posting some different content and um, we're gonna try like I said to release a podcast episode but we will see about that yeah oh and I guess that brings me to we're gonna have a more consistent schedule with releasing podcasts we're thinking Tuesdays but yes. that is not 100% for sure I feel like once we get caught up a little bit and into the groove of like we release on Tuesdays and we mm-hmm. record on Thursdays then we yep. should be able to stay consistent with that so just stick with us be patient as we learn this we're literally learning as we go like we yes. set up <laughs> We set up our podcasting account, recorded, semi-edited, and made it available to you guys in a matter of two and a half days. Yeah. I mean, done is better than perfect. That's what I think. Like, there's no – it doesn't have to be complete perfection, and we just appreciate you all coming on this journey no matter what it looks like right now and kind of growing with us. Um, And thank you so much for sharing and sending us so many kind messages. The first episode was so well-received, which – we just didn't know what to expect at all, and it brought us both to a lot of tears. <laughs> the best oh, yeah. Of tears. Yeah. It yes. was a very happy and pleasant surprise, that's for sure. Yes. All right. Well, let's dive in. We're actually going to pick up, or Amanda's going to pick up, kind of where we left off uh, diving more into Hattie's diagnosis story and the wild experience that Amanda had, which unfortunately is not so unique. Yeah. Um, it is in some ways, but you know, a lot of people experience similar things. So Amanda, take it away with <laughs> more about the actual hospital stay, what that was like, your interaction with, with the doctors, and yep. even once you got home. Yep. Okay. So before I jump into all the nitty gritty, I do want to provide just a bit of a trigger warning. If you are struggling at all, with your own hospital experience or your own child's hospital experience, just be aware that um, I am going to be talking, um, you know, a lot about, hang on one second, can you pause? 
Okay. Sorry. We're back, everyone. I just wanted to make sure the mic was working. You know, I guess that was appropriate timing, right? As I was like, we're newbies and we just figured this out. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but we're all good to go. Okay. So I'm going to go back to the trigger warning. Just, I, I'm not going to go into like, I'm not sure how much detail I'm going to go into. I know that detail needs to be there so that, um, those of you who have gone through this don't feel alone and so that the authenticity is there. But I also am really attempting to create balance with what I share that is about my daughter because, um, you know, she's her own person and she's not fully able to consent to like all this information. So um, we'll just see how it goes and how, how I feel as I talk through it. Um, but yeah, you know, if hospital stuff freaks you out or like IVs or things like that are just, if it's too much, um, you can skip past this part. Um, so let's dive into it. Um, yeah, I left off last episode, just basically explaining how it was an all day ordeal to try and get any doctor to take me seriously. And then when they finally did prick her finger, her blood sugar was over 555 and we were sent to the children's hospital here in San Diego. And when I got there, um, I, I remember feeling, um, I, I sort of numbed myself. I kind of like slipped a little bit into nurse mode and I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. It just kind of is, I think, where I I remember thinking, we just have to get this done. We just have to get this done. Like her, her blood sugar needs to come down. We need to get her out of DKA. I, I don't know what the rest of it means, but like give me a task and let me do it. And that's a very nursing brain kind of way to think about a health crisis. And that definitely saved me from having a complete and utter meltdown freak out, like as everything was happening. Um, but yeah, it was, it was still obviously very difficult. So I drove us to the hospital and I remember saying to Hattie, you know, like she's too, she can't fully communicate, but I just was like, we're going to go to the hospital. Okay. Like, just like Daniel Tiger has gone to the hospital and kind of like making it like, not this scary thing. Like, you know how you feel yucky. Let's go get, let's go get better. Let's go to the hospital to feel better. And she was excited, which like looking back crushes me that my two-year-old is like, yeah, the hospital, you know, like kind of kills me. Um, but yeah, I drove her to the hospital and I remember calling obviously my husband to update him. And I was like, it's diabetes. It's definitely diabetes. And he was like, what does that mean? And I'm like, I don't know, but they have a bed in the emergency room waiting for us. Like we're literally going to walk right in. And he was like, do I come? And I was like, I don't think you can, you know, cause it's still height of COVID. It's one of those things where just one person can be with you and all these things. Plus like I didn't want to bring Summer, the baby, the four-month-old, like into a hospital full of sick people. So we get there and they, you know, say, okay, yes, we're expecting you. Come right back. And um, we get set up in a room. And it was actually interesting. The nurse who took us in and did the initial questions with me, um, 
first of all, it was definitely an emergency because if if you have ever taken your child to the emergency room and it's an actual emergency, you know that as one person is talking to you, the team is prepping for whatever medical interventions are needing to be done in that exact moment. And so I knew that that's what was happening. And so it's all slowly starting to hit me as this person's asking me questions and they are setting up trays of things that my daughter needs. And this nurse, it's interesting. It's just a little side story. When the baby was just 10 days old, um, she was breathing a little bit fast. For those of you who are in the baby medical world, she was breathing about 70 to 80 breaths per minute. And she felt warm, which she wasn't hot. She didn't have a fever, but she just felt on the warmer side. So I ended up taking her into the ER and the same nurse that was taking my info for Hattie was Mm. the same nurse who like brought me in with Summer. And it was just so weird where I was like, that was only three and a half months ago. Like this is a whole nother world, you know? And so yeah, then started the just rush of everyone you could think of coming in. Um, We were never alone in that room. And I had to obviously hold down my daughter while they did, um, while they placed the IV. So that was probably the worst part is um, the entire 48-hour hospital stay was having to hold her down for IVs because putting an IV in a kid is, is challenging. Putting an IV in a very strong toddler who is screaming is like the height of challenging. (laughs) And, um, I remember just holding her and crying, but not letting her hear me sob and just saying, it's such a pretty bracelet. Look at your pretty jewelry. I know this is hurting. You're going to feel better. It's a little bit of pain right now to feel better later, but like a 26 month old in DK doesn't care that you're saying any of that stuff. So you're saying it for yourself, you know? And because it's like no parent is practiced in this. And so you just you you don't even know what you're supposed to say or do. You're just doing it. So it was terrible. And then she, you know, ended up being okay. She has a very high pain tolerance. So she recovered relatively quickly from that. And then they got her started on fluids and an insulin drip. Um, and the doctor came in to tell me, okay, we're pretty sure it's obviously type one diabetes. Like her incoming blood sugar was like 585 or something. I forget the exact number. And, um, like her pH and everything had shown that she was definitely in DK. So Then I remember at one point asking a doctor before they transferred us to her hospital room. um, I'm crying and I was like, she had COVID. She had COVID. Like, did I miss this? Should I have caught this earlier? You know, it was just, I was racked with guilt. Like, oh my gosh, why didn't I bring her in sooner? And he was like, you did the right thing. It's okay. She's here now. And like, we caught it and she's going to be okay. 
And he said something that at the time I'm pretty sure was a lie, but I'm grateful to him for lying to me. Where He said, um, if this was my kid, I would have brought my kid in just about the same time you did. And looking back, I'm like, no, you wouldn't have, but <laughs> thanks for that, Doc. <laughs> um, but I think really so much of it was the fact that she had COVID. So it was just, you know, I just kept telling myself, she's sick, she's got COVID. Anyway, and then it, it was the hospital room. And, you know, then I'm suddenly fielding calls, incoming calls from family. And, you know, my husband is constantly like, what what's going on what's happening and they're coming in and it just it starts right away like you don't get you don't get any kind of break you don't get any sort of like mental space to like process what's happening it's literally like your kids in dk they have type 1 diabetes education starts now so this is this is what it is this is how you do it they're you know and it's all like very convoluted. It all feels very textbook. It all feels very like explained in a way that is supposed to be for medical professionals, which I am so grateful for my nursing background because if I didn't have that and if I was not like medically inclined and like a more science-brained person, I don't know how I would have processed any of that information. I already struggled processing what it all meant. I remember thinking like forever, really? And I'm a nurse, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. and that was not hitting me that it was forever. That was really not hitting me anyway. So her, this, by the time we got like settled in her hospital room and she was like calm and in a gown and stuff, it was probably like, uh, 8 or 9 p.m. And she couldn't eat because like they had to get her blood sugar down, obviously. And she just like needed all the fluids to flush the ketones and stuff. But um, she was getting finger pricks for blood sugar checks every two hours. And then, which just side note, it is now that I know what it's like to have a Dexcom, it is so wild to me that the first thing they don't do is put a Dexcom on in the hospital. Yeah, for real. It's especially for a tiny kid who is hysterically reacting to any nurse or doctor because of the pain associated with needles. They pick up very quickly that if someone is coming in in scrubs, they are experiencing pain. That's awful. And so like – we were kind of calm a little bit, but then it was just, I was met with education right away. And then I was also met with my two-year-old being terrified, sleeping in this hospital room that has like lights flooding into it from the hallway, regardless of the fact of pulling the curtains and stuff. She's used to a sound machine. She's used to a pitch black room. Like, and now she feels terrible. She has IVs. She's getting poked every two hours. She's starving. She can't eat. She has fluids going into her body and she can't communicate all these things. And like, I am there and I get in bed with her. I like almost, my boobs almost explode because I refused to pump until I knew she was completely asleep, but she wasn't completely asleep until three in the morning. Oh. 
yeah. it took her that long because just of everything, you know? Yeah. And all throughout that, they had to like get blood work, which I understand from the nursing perspective. I understand that you need blood work in order to monitor how the patient is doing and how they're recovering. But they were promising me that all these peripheral IVs that they were putting into her hands and arms would work even if they they were basically drawing blood from those peripheral IVs and then hooking her fluids back up. And I'm Whoa. just thinking to myself, this isn't going to work. I know it's not going to work. And it never did. And they would try and ruin a perfectly oh. good peripheral IV and then need to come in, start a new one, get blood from it. So I'm literally I, – I don't even know the amount of times I had to physically – hold my daughter down and like yeah. the heat and the sweat and the crying and like that, I really don't think I ever will get over the trauma of that. I think it's just kind of like blanketed and it's there and it exists as part of our journey and it exists as part of my motherhood story, but it's literally the worst, one of the worst things I've ever gone through. And that like how selfish of me to even say that out loud because my daughter physically experienced it and I just no, had to be there, but it feels selfish saying it out loud. Yeah. I don't know. Well, anyway. not to interrupt you at oh, all, yeah, but I think like, like you're just, I, I feel very horrible. And even though it's not my fault at all, but that my mom had to go through this in a way too. And I was for I mean I was five technically but I just turned five like a couple of days yeah. before we were in the hospital and so like I remember being so afraid of needles like I was the girl that would run down the hallway when they were trying to give me a shot like I know she had to hold me down and I know this is going to be this whole thing will be hard for her to listen to um but like I don't remember all those moments right like I do remember a few moments I remember asking her am I gonna have to get a shot every day for the rest of my life and she had to, answer that and I'm sure that was like the hardest thing for her to say and at that time pumps didn't exist CGMs didn't exist so that was the answer but but everything else like I remember getting like toys that they brought to me and stuff like that but you know I'm I'm hopeful that Hattie won't remember a lot of those little moments as well yeah I appreciate you saying that actually that really like helped just calm me because I was getting heightened <laughs> and I didn't realize I was getting heightened until you just calmed me. So good. I also you. feel <laughs> it's, it's a heavy subject, you know, and it's like it so many and we it all is, have the right to feel all of the yeah. things during. And it is very like question mark, should we talk about this? But part of me is like, yes, because the reason why I felt so deeply affected and alone by it is because it's not discussed like the reality the true nitty-gritty the real like the actual experience of it is not discussed and so here I am parents <laughs> you can yes putting you it all listen, out there yeah you can listen to our story and know that you're not alone but yeah so we were there the next day obviously all day long she finally got to eat I remember the carb counting from the hospital did not make a lot of sense. For whatever yeah. reason, the hospital that we were at chose to use the sliding scale method for her. 
And I don't know why that does not make sense to me. I'm maybe if we get big enough and we can have a pediatric endo on one day, we can ask why that is something that they choose to use. Um, but it just felt so limiting. And for those of you who are listening and don't know what sliding scale method is, it's basically like you, depending on your child's like age and their weight and stuff, they guess a certain amount of units that will cover a range of carbs. So an example is one unit for Hattie, they guessed would cover anywhere from like 30 to 45 grams of carbs. And so it was just this weird like piecing together, being in the hospital, she was limited to 45 grams of carbs, which is a lot, but sometimes like a kid wants pancakes and a smoothie and that ends up being 55 grams, not 45. And then other times she only wanted, I don't know, like chicken and zucchini, but then I would have to force 45 grams of carbs. And then on top of that, I was, the hospital food was terrible, right? Like it's hospital food. So on top of that, I then was doing the math in my head with the menu that they gave me as her support person, figuring out, okay, what on my plate would she maybe want to eat if she hates what's on her plate that still is going to make the math add up? You know what I mean? It was so complicated. It felt exhausting. And I wish that someone would have told me early on or they would have just done something differently where they were like, we're going to do insulin to carb ratios instead. So just guess what she wants to eat, ask her what she wants, and we'll just tell you how many units to attempt to cover that and we'll adjust from there. But they didn't do that. And so that felt really exhausting and scary. And it added to the weight of the diagnosis where I was just like, how am I supposed to do this with my child forever? Um, so that was challenging and scary. I, like I mentioned a couple minutes ago was finally pumping again. And my supply obviously was stress and lack of food and just not being in my own space was starting to dwindle. Plus I went like a solid eight hours without pumping or breastfeeding during the initial intake period. And so I started to like force myself to pump every two hours, which is so tiring. And they wouldn't take my bags of milk from me because we were in a COVID isolation room. So they literally handed me a bucket and a bag of ice, which is like for anyone who's pumped, you know that like technically the milk is likely going to be fine, but it's just so frustrating to chance wasting all of that hard work. And um, yeah, so there was that. And then there was one day... I can't remember if it was like the, we came in on a Saturday night. I can't remember if my husband got to come in on Sunday or Monday, but he got to come in one time for 30 minutes. Insane. Three zero. And they were like, we'll just teach him during that time. Yeah. (laughs) That's all it takes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm like, good, whatever. And they said, mom, you can leave the room, but you can go only to one place and come right back up. You can't like go meander throughout the city and then come back in three hours. Like this is a 30 minute swap. 
And so he came up and it happened to be timed with the need for another blood draw, which I was just like, I'm so sorry to hand this to you and for you to have to experience this trauma too, but I can't do it again. I think I had done it like five times at that point. Like I could not do it, which again feels so selfish because if I couldn't do it, my daughter had to experience it. It's like, it's just such a, it's so fucked. It really is. It's just such a terrible place to be you have something to say I can see it no in your I face. just was gonna say like I think there's another level of pain of seeing someone else go through that like yeah. even I don't know I can't even imagine how that is like watching your child be so upset not that it doesn't hurt and that it's not scary right but yeah like that's hard yeah yeah and you just yeah you just want to take it away so badly it's like the only thing in the world you want to do is take it away mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so in that 30 minutes, I was able to like run downstairs because my mom was driving the four month old around in circles around the hospital. And I just got in and like sobbed and, you know, put my baby to boob, but she was kind of hysterical and just like a very out of sorts and hadn't seen me in, you know, over 24 hours. And she like would not really latch and that suddenly it was like very stressful for me. Like you have to latch, you have, like, I cannot dry up. I need to yeah. keep my milk supply up. And um, yeah, so there was just a lot of emotions there. And then yes. every single finger prick was terrible. Every single injection was terrible. Um, but we got through it. And the one time I saw her happy and the one time I – saw my child come back a little bit was on the third day, a like child life specialist or something came in with Mm -hmm. um, Coco the monkey, which is a little like monkey that has type one diabetes, a stuffed animal. Mm -hmm. And it comes with um, books and um, like, you know, little diabetes pretend supplies that stay in her backpack. And, you know, my daughter had not spoken a ton before that I thought that she needed speech therapy it just turns out her brain was starving and she had some words and she could communicate in her own way but she sat up from bed and went a monkey and a banana ooh, ooh, ee, ee, and was like <laughs> excited and wasn't searching for me she wasn't scared for the first time yeah. in two full days she was just excited to play and um that was heartbreaking because I'm like on the phone with insurance of course at that point already Mm. and I'm just like crying on the phone like I'm sorry they're like it's okay which pharmacy I'm like I don't know I can't think (laughs) yeah um and her blood sugar was back in range right like she felt yes good at that time yeah it took her 18 hours to come back in range so 18 hours on an insulin drip to get her blood sugars back in range. And then she required a Lantus dose of six units, which for those of you who have had toddlers diagnosed, you would know that that is a large dose of Mm. Lantus. And that's what we went home on. So we had quite a few lows at home, which I'll get into in a second. But yeah, basically um, I – 
you know, at that point had asked like one of the nurses, do we really have to do finger pricks? Like, this is so crazy. Is there not a continuous monitor or something? Because I had looked up obviously Mm -hmm. some stuff at that point. And she goes, oh no, there's a continuous monitor, but little kids rip it off. It's not worth it. And so (sighs) I just like threw it away because, you know, threw the thought away in my head because I was so tired. I, at that point, I I think we're 48 hours total into this whole process and I had slept three hours. Mm -hmm. Like I just was not thinking. And then literally, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes later, a different endo came in. Different as in like I saw a new endo every single day. Yeah. Um, he came in, was like, Has someone talked to you about a Dexcom? And I was like, What's that? And he explained. And I said, Oh, well, one nurse mentioned that that's a thing, but it's not good for kids because they rip them off. And like, I know my kid and she'll rip it off. And he was like, No, she won't. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and I am so grateful to him for just putting his foot down and kind of like poo pooing that idea and just yes. being like, No, we're putting her on one. And a different doctor ended up coming in and putting it on her. And at that point, Hattie was so exhausted that she didn't even notice anyone was touching her anymore. She was just like watching her show in a trance. So I'm grateful for that. She didn't scream or cry during the first Dexcom application. And then from that point on, something like about having the Dexcom on lit a fire in me. And I basically refused finger pricks. in the hospital from that point on. So a nurse came in like time to do a finger prick. And I was like, no, the doctor said, as long as it's warmed up and reading that we're good to use Dexcom. She was like, okay, you know, it's, it's a classic nurse thing. Like nurses (laughs) make the worst patients. So I knew that she was just thinking to herself, oh, this mom's a nurse. I'm not going to win this fight, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't even care. No. And um, yeah. And then basically they let us go home about 6 p.m. And this is the part that Raquel, you and I started talking about uh, at Friends for Life. So they let us us go at 6 p.m. And they were like, okay, so we ordered everything to the pharmacy downstairs at the hospital. And I was like, well, why didn't you order it to the pharmacy that's close to my house? And they're like, we just didn't. Sorry. So you have to go downstairs. And I was like, well, no one's here to watch my kid. And I refuse to leave her alone in this room. She's two. Like Mm -hmm. she's not going to understand why mom's gone for 10 minutes. And what if it takes an hour? And they were like, well, fine, you can bring her with you, but you have to come back up because we have to check all the supplies. And I was like, okay. And so I went down and um, brought her with me and I didn't have a stroller. So I'm holding her and she's in her freaking hospital gown with her IV still in her arm and stuff. And yeah. of course it takes literally 45 minutes of waiting in line. And then I get this giant bag. It was enormous, but it was a paper bag without handles. And I know that sounds like a small detail, but that's a very important detail. Yeah. And for those of you who like have kids and you know that – Handles, being able to like have handles and backpacks is essential to surviving with children who constantly want to go up, up, up. And so I was just like already dying with a toddler in one arm and this giant paper bag in the other arm full of medical supplies and life saving insulin that's in a glass vial. You know? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, go back up to the 
to the hospital room. They check everything. They give me the binder that has 300 pages in it. They give me all the books. They shove everything. And I end up having three bags, a backpack full of the brim and Hattie. And that no one offers to walk us out. No one offers a wheelchair. No one offers help. And I was just like, fuck this. I'm out of here. Like, I will manage. I don't care. I'm getting out of here. And so I remember, again, like, of course, we're super far away from where I'd parked the car. And I'm in the um, elevator and holding everything. And everything starts to drop. And all of the supplies start to, like, fall out of the bag. The bag starts to rip because it's a crappy (sighs) paper bag. And I start crying, but I'm like not willing to break down in front of my two-year-old because I just want her to be excited and happy that she gets to leave. And um, yeah, basically the nicest man walks in and he was like, do you need help? And I was like, no, I'm okay. Just because I say no to any offer of help all the time. It's a personal issue that I'm working on. (laughs) Same, same. And so – um, he goes, I'm, you know, let me help you. I'm going to help you. So this nice man carried all of the bags while I got to like actually hug my two-year-old and hold her and get her into the car. And I got her into the car and strapped her into the, her car seat and then put the bags away and said, thank you to the man. And by the time I got in the driver's seat, Hattie was asleep. She was so yeah. tired. And then we got home and you know, they had left the IV in her arm because I just could not handle those nurses being terrible and callous anymore. So I just told them to leave everything in and I'll take it out myself. So of course she had to wake up and get in the bath and experience more pain. And I remember seeing the Dexcom on her arm and breaking down again, like, oh my God, she has to wear something on her body for the rest of her life. Otherwise she dies. Like, what the fuck is this disease? Yeah. And um then finally getting her to bed and my husband and I kind of sat down and basically just like dumped everything out of like the three giant bags we had. And he looked at me and he was like, so what is type one diabetes? You know? And he like, didn't mean it like from square one. Cause obviously all he had to do was like, he couldn't come up and hang out. Yeah. He he was on his phone the entire time researching it, but yeah. he was also like, I just missed 48 hours of education in the hospital. So like, how do I help our child stay alive? How do I help you help her stay alive? What do we do mm-hmm. here? And I was just like, I can't, I can't yeah. do this. Like, this is so much information. And this is where the idea of like our course kind of started, you know, like, why isn't there something easy and obvious and something that my husband and I can just get in bed and press play and close our eyes and listen to someone explain it simply to the point, you know, like something that is a binder that has 10 pages in one section. How about a three minute video? Mm -hmm. And you were saying that a lot of the papers you were taking out of the binders and bags they were giving you were just so vague and unhelpful anyways, right? It's all very like, it's all very scientific and vague. It's interesting. It's all very like from a textbook, but not applicable to real life. And it's hard to even explain it or give true examples because it's all just in the moment 
it all feels so thick. It feels like you're digging through pudding or something. I don't know. That's a terrible way to describe it, but it's just not clear at all. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Well, anyone who has type one or has a child with type one knows now that like there's nothing they can really, well, there's definitely better ways to go about it, but there's not a way to just teach diabetes in a day or in a couple of days, especially when you're going through all that trauma. Like there's so many variables that are just not even mentioned, not even in just the hospital stay, but also years to come, depending on your doctor. Like there's just so much information left out, which is really why we're doing all of this. But I'm just so sorry that you went through all of that, (laughs) like genuinely. And I'm sorry to my mom and dad and any family that went through that for me and to all of you. It's just horrible. And this is a really heavy episode, but we're both on the up now and Mm -hmm. thriving and living life in such a happy way, even though it's so hard. And we're definitely going to get more into that later. But I think it was just so important to share this and maybe eventually I'll have my mom on as well. But um, thank you, Amanda, for going into all of that. I know that's really challenging. No, I mean, I'm happy to do it. Yes, it's challenging, but I don't I don't go back to it often. I really don't. Like I did all the time in the beginning before I got the mental health help that I needed, which can be its own episode later too. Um, but I really don't go back to it all the time. So for anyone who's like there, anyone who's newly diagnosed or anyone who just keeps going back to the trauma of that, like one it's okay to get yourself help and it's a good thing to get yourself help if you need it, if you feel like you need it. And two, there is a life that exists where it's not the focus of your attention, where it's just a chapter that has come to an end in your life and it's a vital part of your story, but it does not write your story anymore. So just know that there's hope there if you're struggling. And know that there's hope for your child because here I am 21 years later, not focused on that time at all. I mean, like I said, there were moments in that hospital stay that I definitely still remember, which is crazy that I do because I was five. I don't really really remember much else from that time. But I don't think of diabetes as what happened in that hospital stay. You know, like I have such a positive like idea around it now. and just because your child went through a really hard time during those days in the hospital or even the months to come doesn't mean that that's how they're always going to think of type one and they can be happy. They can come out on the other side, I promise. Yeah. And our endo clinic is attached to the hospital. And I will say I was very worried that anytime we went, Hattie would like re-experience the trauma and she doesn't. She just gets all excited. She you know, is happy and waving hi to everyone. And <laughs> she likes to do her own finger prick to get her A1C read and everything like that. So she's she's totally fine with all of that. And um, we're now entering into the part of her management where she is upset if we fill her Omnipods without letting her do it. And she's upset if I peel the sticker off the Dexcom because that's her job. It's her Dexcom. It's her diabetes. And I am just so like all power to you, sister. Like, yes, Yes. girl. So your kids can get there too. Yes. All right. Well, any other (laughs) 
final <laughs> thoughts? Should we end on something happier? Something or happy. do you want to talk a little bit, Raquel? I feel like I dominated um, that episode. No, I, it was so good to hear your story. Um, no, I think I think that was great. It was what it needed to be. Like that's just the reality, even though it's not always so happy. But like I said, a lot of our episodes going forward will be more about the rest of our journey, which are much more yeah. positive. Um, but I think it's so important to be real and talk about all of that. So thank you all for tuning in again. Um, yes. We'll do a little blood sugar check as we sign off. I will say I have been drinking this juice. Like I got this orange juice the other day, like a freshly squeezed orange juice um, after a workout class I did because it just looked so refreshing. And I was like, well, I can't really drink this at once like a normal human. Um, <laughs> I can have a few sips of it if I'm low or something. But sometimes I just look at juice and I'm like, oh, what would it be like to just have juice for juice, <laughs> not for a low? <laughs> and so I bought it because I was like, you're going to drink this juice. And I was low when we first started this episode, so I was sipping on it. But as we've been talking, I keep sipping on it and I've given more insulin and I'm 138 steady, you know, so sometimes you just got to drink the juice for fun. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I will funny, say but... that there there are times on occasion where Hattie asks for juice and she doesn't need it and I just it depends on how much fight I have in me honestly and yeah. more often than not I don't have a whole lot of fight when it comes to freaking juice so I just yeah. say sure and dose her you just gotta dose it's carbs like I mean I wouldn't have it every single day but there's no. something about like a fresh cup of juice yeah <laughs> so whatever okay well Let's my blood, blood sugar, sugar like is, I said yeah. is I think yeah 138 still Cool. She is 78 right arrow. It looks like my father-in-law um, caught it right at, it, as it was 71. So yay, daddy-o-in-law. Thank you for your hard work. <laughs> <laughs> yay. All right. We will see you all hopefully next week. Yes. And make sure to like, comment, subscribe. What else do we do? Yeah, rate subscribe oh, rate, review. review there subscribe. we go <laughs> <laughs> we're great at this <laughs> we'll get it down <laughs> hilarious okay right. guys we'll see you next week bye